2: What a scream, what a screamer!
1: Arsenal podcast makes fatal mistake of having on guest who knows what he's talking about. This is the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. That's right. We're going to have someone on who knows the subject matter about which he speaks. Uh, it is a phenomenon that will not be repeated on this podcast regularly, but we wanted to do something special in honor of all of the nothing that's happening around Arsenal. So down the road, we'll have the usual crew with the usual guff and nonsense. Uh, if you'd like to sign up for Patreon, we've got our usual um, transfer weekly roundup going on there and it is just the sound of crickets but they are beautiful crickets this time of year and you don't want to miss it so we've done the thing that makes the least sense which is talk to a bunch of Arsenal fans and Arsenal supporters about Zaha and what Zaha should cost and what kind of player he is and whether we need him uh when really all most of us know about him is that he destroyed us twice a season and what his stats look like so here's a weird idea why don't we actually talk to someone who supports Palace knows all about Zaha and can give us Get this, an informed opinion. I know it's crazy, but that's what we're going to do. So right now, uh, we're going to speak to the host of the Back of the Nest podcast, a fantastic Palace podcast, if you ever want to check it out. Of course, you can. You can find him on Twitter at Back of the Nest. And his name is DR, and he's here to talk Zaha and more with us now. Hello, DR. Hello. Yeah, it's, it's great to have you on. I really appreciate you doing this. You know, it is such a typical thing that I think the fans of all clubs do, which is sort of navel gaze and get up their own ass about what they think of a player that they're linked with and very rarely reach outside their bubble to find out about the player and his worth and his value and, and the perception of him from the people that know him best, in this case, Palace fans. So mm-hmm. the very first question I wanted to ask you is just, I think there is a schism among Arsenal fans, and I'm not sure if you're aware of it. Some Arsenal fans are really excited about the Zaha link, and some fans think it's too much money for a player that's going to be entering the, the later stages of his prime and you know, with all the things we have to fix in our squad. So for you... Do you think Zaha is the caliber of player who, if he moved to a club like Arsenal, could lift his end product to an elite level and really make a difference for where a club like ours is sitting right now?
2: Well, it's not its not really easy to tell because Zaha, as you know, he moved to Man United when he was much younger and things didn't work out there. Um, I'm not too sure what exactly went wrong. Uh, but now he's matured. He really has. And if you even if you just look at just stats and don't watch him play, as the seasons have gone by, he has improved and he's only 26 years old. So he's just entering his peak right now. If it came to Arsenal, I honestly feel like he would be good for you lot uh, because he just, he's not, he has no fear. He's brilliant at dribbling past players. And of course, what many fans that don't support Palace talk about is Zars' end product, which I believe has been improving by the year along with other parts of his game. So if he did come to Arsenal, I feel like that would be a very good signing for you guys. But what I find confusing is the fact that Arsenal... Well, from what I've seen anyways, it seems like other areas need to be focused on more, such as uh, defense. <laughs> and yeah, and, uh, Yeah, well, I think so. I feel, I, so I don't know why you guys are coming for Zaha now. Well, so,
1: so let me ask you this. I mean, yes, first of all, you are right. I mean, when you concede all the goals like we do, it would be yeah. helpful to have someone other than Shodran Mustafi at the center of your defense. But wide player is an issue for us. I mean, we have a Wobi who doesn't really have the end product in his game and Mkhitaryan who has been frustratingly inconsistent and is past his peak, really, at this point. Um, And then just a bunch of young players coming through. So I think it'd be helpful. One thing that I'm kind of curious about, you know, we sent Alexis to Manchester United where he quite hilariously has failed at everything except playing the piano. But um, (laughs) we have missed that kind of player, someone who can instigate an attack, create uh, space for the strikers by drawing extra defenders to him, But Alexis was also kind of frustrating because of his turnovers and the extent to which the ball had to run through him to work. So I'm curious if you think the Alexis comparison makes any sense and if you could see Zaha sort of aping the Alexis role uh, when he moved to Arsenal. I say when he moved to Arsenal, he's clearly not going to move to Arsenal, but if he moved to (laughs) to Arsenal, could, could, could that be a player that he could look like at a club like Arsenal? Yeah, I think so. I feel like that's a very good
2: comparison because at times, Zaha's only human. He has, he does have bad games, even for Crystal Palace, and where he sometimes overthinks it and instead of making a pass, he does that extra dribble. And it's just natural, though, with with every player like that in the world, unless you're the Messi's and Ronaldo's, you, you do have them games. And with the comparison to Sanchez, yes, I, I do think there's similarities there in terms of uh, with Alexis, you saw that he had no fear. He would go run out defenders and when it comes to it, he would take the shot. And I feel like Zaha would bring the same fear back to Arsenal, such as when he's on the ball, the position defenders are straight away looking at Wilford Zaha and saying, look, we have to stop this man. So you could actually open up the pitch more because normally at Palace, what happens is with Zaha, he gets double, man. It's not one-on-one. He, normally two players come to Zaha which opens up space. And with the players that Arsenal have got, that could be a massive bonus for you guys. And you could just open up defenses much easier like that.
1: Yeah. And the player that I'd be thinking of first and foremost is Aubameyang, who's got just preternatural ability to get into the open space in the box. So here's a question for you about that. Um, You know, we have Awobi, we have Kolasinac, and the ball ran through them quite a bit. Their delivery is pretty erratic. Um, How do you think Zaha does... I mean, obviously you don't have the kind of striking talent of an Aubameyang or even really a Lacazette for Zaha to deliver the ball to. But when he does beat that first man, do you feel that he makes good decisions in the final third with his delivery?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent. It's just the fact that you can't really see it um, because of our strikers. If you look at Palace's strikers right now, Christian Benteke, he was out injured last season. Uh, Connor Wickham, he never plays. And Serloff, he was an he wasn't even with the club, he was out on loan, so we only had Batchway. And when Batchway came in, you could see there was a connection between Batchway, Zaha, and even Andrews Townsend. So he does make the right decisions. And if he makes the step up to Arsenal, I feel like it could you could see more even by looking at stats because I feel like he'll get more assists because there's more capable players. So yeah, that will be a huge, huge plus for you guys.
1: Um, and and I guess <laughs> obviously we know some of the things that you love about him, you've mentioned that, but every player has things that frustrate the fans, right? And Mm. sometimes that's the part that's harder to know from a distance. Like, you may not know what drives us crazy about Iwobi if you're not a careful um, Arsenal watcher. What drives you crazy about Zaha, if anything? What what is the thing that gets the fans groaning um, about this player? Oh, it's...
2: (laughs) The thing with Zaha is that he has improved on his game, like... But it's just the moaning. Um, He lets players get to him too easily at times. It's oh, he'll sit right just, in then. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, well, I'm not too sure about that. But he just, he, he just, he. If you, if your play oppositions, I could see it week in week out with Zaha. They know they target him and they kick him about because he causes a reaction. And as fans, sometimes you just want him to chill out a bit more because you're just giving in. And that's really a frustrating part of his game. Sometimes he can just overthink situations, and it could some it could affect his game. He got sent off last season, um, Southampton away in the Premier League. I, I can't remember the player, but a player basically pushed him and he just erupted and he got sent off. So it's just his attitude side of the, well, on the pitch. If he could slightly improve that, then yeah, that'd be much better. But it's not something really to worry about because he was much worse uh, when he was younger. And as he's getting older, he's getting a bit better with that. So it's not like a huge weakness, but you could easily get to Wilfred Zaha.
1: Yeah. And I mean, one of the things that it's, it's hard to say what Unai Emery's style is because he has many of them. Um, <laughs> yeah. And they change from week to week and sometimes even within the game. So we're still trying to learn that ourselves, but we do seem to think that he wants to press at times against the bigger clubs, but he also wants tremendous off the ball work rate defensively from his wide players. They really have to get up and down the pitch. How do you feel Zaha does off the ball, either pressing or uh, tracking back?
2: Yeah, I think um, that's a very underrated part of his game. He, he does. He does. He does like pressing. He does like going back, and you've seen that at Palace. Um, he, sometimes he he you just wonder what is he doing. He's just running back, and he just wants to get the ball. So that's a element of his game which I'm very happy about. And love that. it has. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and he has, and he has, he has proven it as well. If you look at Zaha, uh, week in, week out, there's been some games where you're like, wow, he okay. He was good going forward, but also going back and picking up plays, He helped us out a lot there. So. In terms of that, I feel like he'll fit your style brilliantly in terms of pressing and picking up defenders. So, yeah, that's a bonus. Well,
1: yeah, I mean, if we somehow manage to get Zaha and Tierney and you go from Iwobi and Kolasinac to Zaha and Tierney, I think you just totally transformed your left wing. So that's an interesting thing to think about and good to hear. Um, let's, let's just move on to value before we kind of switch gears a little mm-hmm. bit this is the hardest thing right now. You see someone like Ayoze Perez going for 30 million pounds and you say, what is value anymore? Um, meanwhile, Arsenal can't give players away. We're, we're trying to give you Carl Jenkinson, which is quite a nice, yeah, offensive. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> offensive. Yeah. And a spare tire from a, a 1943 Volkswagen. But like, I mean, I don't, I don't know exactly how we have a discussion about value in this era, but to you, when you see Arsenal making a bit of 40 million and you see Palace saying, we want 80, as Palace fans, do you get offended by a forty million bid? Uh, you know, do you have the same reaction that it's a ham-fisted derisory offer? How do you feel about what the clubs trying to get in return for him?
2: Hundred percent. I've uh, I, even on social media yesterday when I was looking at it, some Arsenal fans seemed embarrassed as well about it. Well, look, Zaha, if you're if you're looking at his value, you have to base on his value on what you know to the club. So zaha to us is worth 70 to 80 million because he orchestrates our attack and if he leaves there's a big chance that we could get relegated and in the future that causes more financial disruptions so zaha to us is worth 70 to 80 million he's got he's under contract till 2023 and 40 million simply won't cut it. even if wilfrid zaha wants to leave it's still business at the end of the day and palace will not sell him for 40 million the lowest I could see it going potentially is to 60 million and that's if things get messy but there's no reason for Palace to sell him in the first place because he's our star man and even if Zah wants out Palace could simply say look you're under contract till 2023 so you just have to play for us or you just have to live by it nothing we can really do unless a a club comes and actually pays your value which is 70 to 80 million.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess the argument would be you're also flush with the one bissaka cash, right? So you don't really need to sell financially right now. You've just made a big sale. You're gutting your team. And Arguably, am I, would I be wrong to say that losing Bissaka and and Zaha would be your two best players, maybe?
2: Yeah, 100%. And I feel like the reports coming out a couple of days later, the one bissaka sale, uh, it's not a coincidence. The fact that we're actually valuing Zaha to up to 100 million now instead of 70 to 80 million. And that's because we don't want to sell two of our best players in the same window. And if you actually look at it, there's not that much time left in a window in terms of doing re- having replacements for them two players. So now that we sold Ram bissaka the club really wants to hold on to Wilfrid Zaha. And if they were to sell him, it would make sense to sell him in the next week or two because you don't want to go up to deadline day and sell Wilfrid yeah. Zaha and be left with no replacements. And that's why I'm not as worried because if you look at it now, It seems like Arsenal don't have the money unless they're sole players. And so I I just don't see it happening for the time being. But then again, that could easily change. You never know with football.
1: Does, Does his, if he pushed more, if he was more vocal, I know it would put some pressure on the club. But as a fan base, like when you hear Zaha say he's, you know, he's a childhood Arsenal fan or, you know, he'd like to move. Do you understand it? Like in in your heart of hearts, are you like, look, I get it. He wants to make this move, but if he stays, you'd still adore him, root for him, the whole thing. Or, or is the attitude towards him getting toxic?
2: Not really, not right now. Um, I'm not too sure how it will end uh, because Zaha's brother came out publicly and said that he wants Zaha wants his move to Arsenal and that's not really the best thing to do but Zaha has all our respect he's been here since a young age of course he went to United then he came back so I don't feel like it will be toxic because we understand the move me personally I understand that as well moving to Arsenal it makes sense because he wants one he stays in London next to his family which is quite big and sometimes you actually forget about it footballers are humans and more time is more about family rather than money and so he stays at he stays in london he plays for his boyhood club it makes sense i understand why zaha wants to move um so if it does if it doesn't actually happen then yeah we just bang on but that's if zaha continues to perform as he does of course if he decides to sulk then that's a different situation but if he continues to play then why would i be annoyed at zaha i understand it
1: yeah, I mean, it's a little different right at Arsenal because when you get these players that make noises like they want to leave, I think there are some Arsenal fans that, you know, understandably, look, we want to believe we're the biggest club in the world. We're huge. <laughs> Why would anyone want to go anywhere yeah. else? And I think there are some fans that understand there are certainly bigger clubs than us. There's Barcelona, there's Real Madrid. And, you know, but like when we lost someone like Robin Van Persie to Manchester United, he became public enemy number one. Um, So it it might be a little different mindset. And, and that brings me to sort of more general questions. I, I think one of the things that I'm fascinated by is the different dynamics of supporting clubs at, at different stages of the Premier League, different size clubs and things like that. So obviously, Palace did a beautiful job wrecking our season. Uh, congratulations yeah. to you. <laughs> um, I'm curious how meaningful that is for, for you guys, for the, for the Palace supporters. Like, How much did you enjoy rocking up at the Emirates and dashing our hopes of finishing top four? that's
2: look clubs like palace we of course we're not competing for tops uh, top four top six we already survived so we really had nothing to play for and then when you turn up to a big side you want to win and that win believe it or not it was so massive because even as palace fans you always have friends that sport Arsenal that sport the united and you don't really have much time to you know to stick it up to them but this was it it's like I could go up to my Arsenal mates and be like, look, Wilfried Zaha, you managed to score this goal. And as a result, you're not in the Champions League. And it's just the excitement. And yeah, I think, I think it's really big. Um, sometimes it goes underestimated. And you could see it as well in the performances. The plays at times do turn up when it comes to the big sides.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I guess this is hard to say. But like internally right now, if I took the temperature of Arsenal supporters around the world... I think there's a feeling that we're kind of a dumpster fire. We're struggling to sell. We're struggling to buy. Our defense is a disaster. Uh, we're sliding down the table. We're not really sure what to make of Unai Emery yet. Gazidis left. Our big uh, super genius scout Sven Mislintat left. Uh, so there's a lot of panic within the Arsenal support. As someone outside of the bubble, do you are you picking up on the mess that is Arsenal, or do you have a different perspective on it?
2: Well, look, at least you're not Man United. I feel like that's that's the positive. Yeah. At least you're not Man United. Yeah. Whoever thought look, you'd say that, right? Emery <laughs> came in last season and me looking from the outside, I had no expectation because if you saw it with Pep in his first season at City. He didn't do all that great. And you look at the funds that Emery's been given, it's nowhere near City level. So I understand where Arsenal fans' frustrations are coming from. Of course, you've been underperforming and underachieving for a while now, but... Look at it. You went to the Europa League final. Um, you st- it didn't go well. Not- <laughs> yeah, yeah. The Europa League final bit, that didn't go well. I was watching that game and I was actually embarrassed for you guys. That didn't really go that well. <laughs> Look, that didn't go well. But you still went there and it's not It's not the end of the world. I feel like it's going to be a slow rebuilding process with the owners that you've got, unfortunately. But you just have to trust in Emery. And at times, yes, Emery was at fault tactically last season. But sometimes managers need to adjust as much as players and you only see next season what Emery's like because as you said, you switched up and you're not even too sure what Emery's trying to do. So you just need a bit of time in the Premier League and unfortunately, you're not really given time, are you? Um, most managers, they, most owners demand success straight away. So uh, what my message would be to Arsenal fans is that, look, yes, you've been underachieving, but just stick by Emery and be a bit patient. Uh, you've still got players that, emery probably doesn't want there and you have to get rid of them you have to bring in new players and it seems like you're not going to be able to you haven't got the funds to do that immediately so just patience is the key really
1: don't scan my twitter timeline okay because patience (laughs) is not my is not my chief quality (laughs) you've just stuck it to me pretty good there but i appreciate it and everybody listening will be laughing we have a a a regular on the pod clive and uh he will be smiling ear to ear with what you've just said i assure you (laughs) so how about we finish with this i mean as someone who supports, you know, a club that's, that's not competing for top four, you know, not competing for the big trophies, when you go into a season, I mean, is the goal just don't get relegated, win a few big games? What, what do you hope for as a supporter of Palace? And, and maybe one step beyond that, when you see Arsenal fans moaning about, oh, we're going to finish fifth and we're only going to make Europa League final and maybe we'll make a deep run in the FA Cup. Like, do Palace fans look at us as sort of entitled prats or do you understand that we have different levels of expectations?
2: I understand it, but there's so many fans that I don't unfortunately understand it. Just the expectations are just so different between Palace and Arsenal. And of course, I have banter with my friends, um, Arsenal fans, and we laugh about it. But... Going into next season, Palace, um, the owners want something different to fans. Look, the owners want us to survive, 100%. And that was expectations last season. And that's why it caused a bit of a frustration because at times, tactically, we just wasn't going for games and we were just playing for draws and it was so frustrating. But next season now that Roy Hodgson's had, he's this, it's going to be his second season, well, second full season. He came in uh, mid, well, midway point, not midway, but a couple, couple games into... Uh, when Frank De Boer left. So next season, our, my expectation is that we actually push for a top 10 finish. Um, I was really frustrated last season when we were not really pushing for it. And we've got Wilfred. If Wilfred Zaha stays, we've got him now. If Wilfred Zaha stays, we need to show him that we're trying to push on as a club. Because why should Zaha stay at a club who's just trying to survive? He just doesn't match his expectations. He's got the talent to play at a higher level so the club need to really show and it's not only the owner the manager really needs to show Wilfred Zah look Wilf, we're trying to actually play some exciting football and we're trying to push on so stick by us and hopefully good things will come in the future so it's really important next yeah. season um, that we actually play to win games um, so yeah there's been games that, well, I'm thinking of back it was just so annoying
1: yeah, well, we have not too. Trust me. Um, yeah. When you you know l- losing at home to Brighton with top four in the line, not great. When you um when you look at you know what Leicester did, I know it's once in a lifetime, once w- once in a history kind of thing, winning the title, or what Watford's doing. Uh, pardon me, uh, um, Wolves are doing sort of pushing up the table, building an exciting team. I mean, granted, Watford had a pretty decent season too. But when you look at some of the other tr- not traditional top six clubs making strides, moving up the table, has it changed? your perception of what the ceiling is for Palace at all? What's possible that with the money in the Premier League and sort of this sort of money ball approach that's coming into football, that maybe there is a future where Palace could do something unexpected? Uh,
2: I think it's a bit difficult with Palace because when we joined the Premier League um, to what it is now, of course, you still had the Premier League money, but it's it's increasing by the year. So a newly promoted size, it seems like they've got more to spend. Um, Palace spend roughly 80% of their income on wages. So we're very tight right now in terms of Mm. buying players and actually putting them on a wage for a long term. But if you look at our squad, I feel like we've got a decent squad to actually compete at a high level. And there has been some games that have shown that. Look at the Arsenal game, for example. All right, Wilfried Zaha decided to be brilliant for, for that game. But there's other players who could actually step up. And I think that's a mentality going into next season. You look at our squad, we've got Max Meyer, you got Sacco, solid defender, uh, James Tompkins of course Andros Townsend which you guys probably don't like um, they're still solid players and it's like a solid squad and you look and you compare our squad to other squads you're like alright if Watford can do it why can't we do it and it's really what last season proved was tactically that I it, said it's not the squad so next season Roy's got really um, really, he's got really big job to do um, to push us on to the next level because the fans are actually expecting it now and they know that the time is limited with the squad that we've got
1: well, I'll root for you, with the exception of uh, Arsenal home and away. Does that sound fair? <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, that's fair. I will root for you as well, with the exception of uh, uh, Palace ar- away, home and away.
1: Yeah, well, we have more to fear than you do, from the looks of it. Um, I really <laughs> appreciate it, and maybe we can we can chat after a couple of those games during the season. Sound good?
2: Yeah, that sounds brilliant
1: all right well dr's on twitter at back of the nest his podcast is back of the nest you definitely want to check it out if you are a fan of palace or maybe just want to hear what's going on at palace as we approach a match for them or maybe hopefully sign zaha or don't sign zaha depending on your perspective either way we're going to take a break and when we come back we'll have the usual fools with usual nonsense stay with us <laughs> with the usual gang and I say the usual gang but it's not really the usual gang because there's a guy here that he used to be usual now he's a little bit unusual but he's ready to be usual again his name is Tim you can find him on uh, Twitter at Stilberto gosh I haven't said it in so long I forgot how to do it welcome back Tim
3: my pleasure thank you for having me back
1: yeah uh so you know i mean do you have any announcements any transfers for you or are we selling you or are we getting a fee are you leaving on a free anything we should know uh, i'm I'm leaving all that to my agent
3: and at the moment i'm just focused on pre-season
1: excellent excellent well we will definitely be in contact with him or her uh whoever or whatever they are uh clive is here of course clive's on twitter at clive pafc hello clive Uh, Hello, hello. Paul's giving himself the day off. It is, in fact, the 4th of July uh, here in the United States. Technically, it is the 4th of July everywhere, except where it's over the international date line, in which case it is not the 4th of July. But right now, it is the 4th of July. Just real quick, Tim, um, given that it's the 4th of July, you've been covering the Women's World Cup. Um, Mm. You know, I mean, obviously, the animosity between our two nations now at a fever pitch. (laughs) One of our players uh, pretended to be sipping tea on the pitch. Yeah. Do you see an, another conflag- conflagration between our great nations and another war brewing? I, I think
3: I, I I like the way you said brewing there. Very nice. Um, uh, I didn't even mean <laughs> it, but you know what? I did mean it. Of course I meant it. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I think so. I, I was uh, I, I found it quite amusing, actually, some of the kind of, particularly the British coverage of the antics of the Americans celebrating goals and all that th- stuff with their happiness
1: and (laughs) and their joy
3: (laughs) completely un-british and um you know and then like not covering stuff like the fact that they're in one of the biggest gender pay gap disputes in professional sports at the moment um and like putting all of that like under the carpet that's not important the important thing is how are they showing their happiness and um how can we police their happiness mm. um so I, I so as you can tell by my very sardonic tone I, I, I like looked at that with a fair amount of amusement but when alex morgan brought tea into it i'm afraid she overstepped she the line <laughs> someone who drinks about well at the moment i drink about four or five cups a day but when i gave up smoking i was like on about 15 cups a day so like it's it's tea is my addiction and um You know, like like everything else good that's British, it's completely ours. There is no troubling colonial history around tea.
1: Nothing whatsoever and not related to the colony of of Massachusetts or Boston or anything like
3: that? No, no, absolutely not. Completely, completely all homegrown in Yorkshire. And so for Alex Morgan to take aim at tea was just too far. And I'm, I'm wearing orange every day until Sunday now.
1: to to be fair i don't think you'll be alone in that but uh i mean as far as the the match went you know i have to be honest i i don't think the united states have played that well at any stage of this tournament barring the the thailand debacle obviously um and i thought england were excellent i thought they were unlucky to have the goal disallowed of course they had the chance to equalize with the penalty but for you i mean do you think that the united states is sort of six out of ten their way to the final here
3: yeah but they they've got um they've just got that kind of know-how they they know how to get it done that's that's the thing in terms of like quality there isn't too much i mean usa is slightly better than england but there's not too much there and there wasn't much in the game it's just you could see in that first 20 minutes that usa like have just been there they've been in that situation and and so have england to be fair but they haven't got past that situation and you know uh, like all joking aside when i kind of um see all this coverage about the american antics and the uh kind of elite jock mentality and all of that I, like i i kind of get why it bothers people on a fairly superficial level but i i kind of look at it a bit like um you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's kind of um, demeanour, shall we say. It's like, yeah, it's probably a bit annoying on an objective level, but it's also probably why he's the best, um, you know, well, at yeah. least one of the best in history. Yeah. It's, 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 I wouldn't call it a necessary evil, but it's something close to that. And that, that's why, you're right, US have kind of six out of 10 their way to the final, but they've got the quality to do that.
1: Look, I mean the opprobrium with the way foreigners play the game or celebrate is not a women's football exclusive. I mean, I remember no. was it Santi Cazorla did a Penanca penalty or something and he got vilified in the British press. Yeah. Like, so we we see this this level of moral panic and outrage when the men do it to some extent. There's always gonna be yeah. the people that, that defend it and there's always gonna be people that, that hate it and say it's you know, the game's gone against modern football, all that stuff. But that's part of the pantomime of of following the game, I suppose. Um mm. I I think, Clive, that it it's It's been exciting watching the Women's World Cup, and I have to admit, like, you know, there are some people that clearly don't want to hear about the game, don't love the game, don't care about the game. And that's fine. Look, ultimately, I don't think any of us are going to sit here and pretend that we're one day going to be women's club football fans over men's Arsenal fans. I mean, maybe you will. I mean, Tim, maybe that's happening for you already. It's probably not (laughs) going to happen for me. That doesn't mean you can't enjoy it. Like, I can enjoy many things at once and enjoying one thing doesn't mean you enjoy another thing less or that you're you you have to have it forced down your throat if you don't like it it's totally your choice as long as the reason you're expressing your distaste of it is not uh, misogynistic in nature I, I think that much should be obvious having said that i tried to watch the copa america hasn't done much for me the gold cup is a shit show uh CONCACAF is basically a dumpster fire so it's it's next to impossible to watch um you know the the Kids in the Euro stuff—that was that was neat. But I've really enjoyed this tournament, and I, I found myself really wrapped up in it. And I thought that the England United States game was was great entertainment and and captivating drama and all that. I mean, did you find yourself getting sucked into it, and were you pretty gutted by the
4: resp- the result? Yeah, I was gutted by the result. But I've, I've sort of I've grown you know, women's football has grown on me really for a little while now, and there's reasons for it. I mean, I what I realized, especially in the last year or so. Is don't underestimate the the level of coaching in the game because as my sort of coaching has gone up, you can see, you know, they they are playing to pattern. They are they are not just going out there and playing. They are playing really good pattern, good style, good philosophy. And also we watch Arsenal and you can see they're a team that plays up from the back, they've got they've got tricky players in centre of the pitch, they've got strength in the centre of the pitch, they've got a great centre forward, they they know what they're doing, they've got Beth Mead, who's quite creative and They've got strong fullbacks, and I'm looking at this, I'm thinking, okay, there's, there's, a, there's a pattern of play here. And when you watch England, there's a there's a definite pattern of play there. So from a coaching perspective, and from if you like how football's played, sometimes, there's one of the reasons why I watch a lot of youth football as well, you can see things more clearly. Sometimes in the men's game, it's very, very fast, and you've got to picture it very, very early. Know, particularly the first two three minutes of a game to see what the assignments are but in the women's game is slightly slower so you can see what they're trying to achieve until the score breaks away I right? particularly watch some, some games apart from two or three maybe five or six a season the score breaks away and, and, it, and it changes but when you will see them against Man City and Chelsea for example you can really see the tactical side and the coaches really going for each other so I see it as an extension of Arsenal to me and I, and I really enjoy it and I'm loving the fact that it's captured the the hearts of the nation. it would be interesting to see when the WSL comes back what that does for it. I think we may, we, we're we only going to see a, a spike in attendance, but more importantly, I think we might see a spike in participation, and I think that's what's going to happen. In America, they've really focused on girls' sport and and, for, and soccer, shall we say. We run the sports, no, don't say that. Don't, we, don't, we, don't want, we, don't, we don't want the blowback <laughs> for that. <laughs> and, they've, and and the girl they're they're ahead of us with that and that's why they've got a bigger pool of players. And but obviously in the in the UK now, I expect that to really grow and then eventually the pool of players that we have will be will be stronger and I think that depth will it reach to our game and then eventually I do agree with him the gap between the US and England is really narrowing compared to the way it was two, three years ago. And they edged it on the day, but that first 20 minutes was a... Was well, a bit sobering, actually, <laughs> when they really put the pedal down. But England fought back, or unfortunately, not to at least take it two extra time. So, yeah, very enjoyable. And um, I, I see it growing continuously. I'd be interested to see what happens with Phil Neville, to see how long he stays within the game. Uh, and that's going to be an interesting one to watch. Yeah. And when he does go, how they follow him. That's going to be interesting to see what they do next. So I think these are the next indicators for me, but yeah, really enjoyable. And, you know, it's great to listen to Tim on The Guardian and, mm-hmm. and and really get some broader knowledge outside of my knowledge is more Arsenal-based uh, and England-based, but Tim's got obviously a global knowledge, which is great.
1: Tim is having a moment, and it's nice to see with the women getting all this attention that there's a man who's able to benefit from it, because I Absolutely. think that that's... Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, well said, right? <laughs> um, look, it is kind of funny, though, right? Like, I'm not a particularly patriotic or nationalistic person who cares about... like nations or countries or any of that stuff we're all citizens of the world in my book but like it is funny how you turn on a sporting event where your country's involved and suddenly like you're draping yourself in the Mm. flag and you're singing the national anthem it's crazy how it it really does get your blood pumping um one
3: of the the important like one of the important things in terms of maintaining momentum but the reason like you've gradually seen this momentum during the world cup and how that then um kind of harnesses when the Premier League and the Champions League comes back and everything and, and it's it's competing in that space again but what people really need to see because right when you watch the football right people are watching it and they're going yeah this isn't, this isn't really much it. it's just football right like some games are good some games are crap some games are great it's just like any other football mm-hmm. and but what you need is to be able to engage with the characters playing it and that's where like uh, the women's domestic game runs into some issue I think because unless you're following it every week and you know the characters and you know the players and you can speculate on lineups and tactics like you you know Arsenal Chelsea might get like a bigger crowd than usual but people go once but because it's an isolated event it's it's carrying on that thread and like and and as this tournament's gone on people have heard the stories of the players and some of the characters and I always say like just from a purely like journalistic perspective that the stories of the players are amazing absolutely amazing because they're so much more relatable um to you know to quote unquote normal people and when i like i try and bring this out and i interview some of uh, like the arsenal players and, like talking to lisa evans about giving up university to go and play play in Germany and learn German fluently because she was like, Look, I've given up uni for this. I've got you know, I've left my family in Scotland. I have to make this work. So I've got to learn German. And you know, exactly the same challenges you and I would face if we decided to go and take a job in Germany. Whereas I'm not saying those challenges don't exist for men's footballers, but they're far more cushioned. You live a far more cocooned lifestyle. And if it doesn't work, you can come back to another big club in a year. Um, and I, I like I spoke to Louise Quinn as well, and she was in Ireland where there's no professional um, infrastructure. She made and, high, and edited her own highlights video and started sending it out to agents and then got a move to Sweden like and lived in Sweden for two years to go and play football. Like how random is that? And again, this is like her her livelihood was on the line when she did that because she had to go and find work. Uh, basically and she had to go and find it somewhere that paid and sweden pay so she put, she went to all this trouble and utilized these skills she didn't really have and like you just you find these stories coming out more and more and i think getting those stories out there is, is a big part of maintaining the momentum
1: yeah i think that's really well said <clears throat> you know it's it's interesting to look I think because we're all obsessed with Arsenal, we think that this is how everyone follows football, is they're obsessed with a club. They follow every single minute detail. Obviously, that's not the case. There's a reason that Cristiano Ronaldo and Lionel Messi have more followers on social media than any club does. There's a huge global fan base, probably the majority, who don't really care about a club. They love the stars and they tune in to watch them. Um, And that's how sports grow. Big stars drawing in people from being casual to being uh, more involved and then eventually you know, loyal, dedicated fans like we all are. Um, and look, there is nothing more cringe than going with the whole, hey, now that I have a daughter, I'm a feminist thing. But I'm going <laughs> to go there just for a second because th- this was really interesting to me. Look, as a man, you turn on the TV and there's a lot that caters to you. When I turn on Arsenal, my daughter, who's going to be four years old, Daddy, are you watching soccer again? Yep, yeah, watching soccer again, honey. Uh, don't worry, I'll, I'll be a dad eventually, promise. Um, but like when I was watching... The Women's World Cup, once she walked in the room, Daddy, you watching soccer again? Yeah, she said, Daddy, it's girls playing. And she came and sat down next to me. And she's like, look, the girls are playing. And like, I know that sounds silly, but, you know, as a guy, you don't get it because you turn it on and there's always guys doing stuff. And you're like, oh, I want to do that. But like for a little girl to see other girls, women, obviously, but she said girls, doing that sort of thing is very important and very inspirational. And like, if you... (laughs) You know, if you have a daughter, and not just if you have a daughter, if you're a woman, if you have a sister, if you have a friend, if it's you, whatever it is. The point is like to see people that look like you, that are like you, representation is important. Representation mm-hmm. ethnically, representation nationally, representation in terms of gender. And I see that in her in a way that maybe I wouldn't have realized. So I know I just went with the whole yeah. cringe, now that I'm a dad to a daughter, I'm a feminist, but like it it does help you see the world through the eyes of someone experience represent, representation, experiencing representation for the first time. And I, I just want to make one more comment on that point. We get great reviews on the pod and I am so thankful for all of them and I I, you know, obviously urge you to, to do more of them. But there was one review I came across that said, oh, you know, this podcast is misogynistic and racist and all this stuff. And, you know, I, it really hurt me. Like, I, there are trolls and you hear things, but like that hurt me. I know we occasionally make the sex joke and we have a lingerie sponsor and, you know, Paul is particularly crass. I understand that. Apologies for him. I'm kidding. Um, but like, we hope that we are inclusive. I, I hope that we send a message of inclusivity. You know, I, I know we're just a bunch of guys talking about football and, and we can do more to be inclusive, but hopefully uh, the feeling that we send out is, is a positive message of inclusivity. Cause I think I speak for the group when I say that that is very, very important to us. And Tim, I'll let you have the last word on this. We can move on to some Arsenal stuff.
3: Yeah. And, and like what you were saying about your daughter as well, that you're right. That is complete. That is very important, but it's, it's just as important um that young boys see that as well. Yeah. Great point. Um, So that they don't find it odd, you know, like girls playing football. That's just as important. And um, I'm, I'm thinking of Per Murtasaka here, that, that interview he did with Amy Lawrence. And he was talking about how like Arsenal have started doing this thing in, in their junior teams where like the, some of the like the two or three best players in the women's junior teams come and train with with the boys junior teams two or three times a week, and Pear Mertesacker was talking about that and saying that's as much for the development of the boys as the girls, so that they understand, and so that they like because you know like pair has got this big. about look most of them aren't going to make it as footballers so we have a responsibility for them to become good human beings as well and he was talking about how that engenders humility and respect um, not just for women as footballers but for women full stop Um, and and he said there's a nice little quote at the end of it as well where he says something like you know when you're privileged and you introduce people into a group who aren't as privileged you sometimes see your privilege in a way that you don't usually see it. You understand that you're lucky. um, And that, that kind of creates intelligence and, and humility and awareness. And, uh, and yeah, it it really brought, it brought to mind that point. And, and, you know, I have my doubts as to whether the WSL is all of a sudden going to skyrocket after the world cup. I think there'll be a little spike, but
1: yeah, I um, tend to agree with that.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But, but if we can get these things right, that's you know that's important as well.
1: And I want to just speak to the people who do take the opinion of like, okay, fine, but I don't want it shoved down my throat. I don't want it thrown in my face. Like I, it's it. I don't like it. You are t- totally entitled to not enjoy it. Like that is not yeah. that doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you a misogynist unless those are the reasons specifically for you not enjoying it. But recognize that like, the the fact that other people enjoy it and want to engage with it, and want to talk about it, doesn't mean that they're their virtue signaling or any of that, you know, politicized language. Like it's, it's just good fun. And like for my daughter watching that, like that was powerful for her and that was important for her. And you're right, Tim, like there's a generation of boys who won't be idiots on the internet saying, Oh, why are they out of the kitchen? Because they will have grown up seeing women do these things and seeing that it's totally natural and normal for that. So uh, again, if it's not for you, I don't want to be the person sitting here saying it has to be, or you're bad if it's not for you, because that is certainly not the case. I just think like, turn off the podcast or turn off the TV or turn to the, like, there's music people like that I can't stand but if it speaks to them, I'm not gonna tell them turn off that song. Like, it's okay. It's okay to like different things and engage with it differently Um, and and I think that we can put a pin in it there. There, You know, we could go on. I certainly don't want to moralize any more than I have and I apologize for, for going down that road but I think there, There is an element to this conversation that you don't want to just pretend you're avoiding. And at the same time, I will love the time when we get to the point where we can discuss this, just like football, with none of these ancillary issues surrounding it. And then if you're not interested, you, you tune into something else. But don't tune into something else. We're going to talk Arsenal, if that's okay with everybody. Um, and and Clive, I am very excited for what is about to come because Raul and, and the gang, they're getting ready to go to, to Uncle Stan and ask for money. They're going to turn out their pockets and say, mm. we're poor can we have some money to go buy players? And I'm sure that that's going to go great. So, how excited are you for um, the Arsenal leadership to to go to the owner and and go get a huge uh, pile of money out of his bank account?
4: Yeah, I don't know. Where, I don't know if I believe that story, mate. To be honest with yeah, I think that's rubbish. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I think um, we all know that the the money it was all you know leaked and briefed our sort of budget, and yeah, I, we done that bef- We've done that before. Excuse me <clears throat> in the end. I think um, Do I have you Arsenal a little choked just, up there for my big soliloquy? I apologize. Uh, yeah, for that. sorry um, Arsenal will, um, will spend what they need to spend and what they can spend. I'm more uh, rather than the spending I'm I'm really interested in the selling to be honest and to see things like Nacho Monreal getting a, a new contract potentially um, or an extension that sort of bothers me because that's a that's a weakness that's been there for a while in my opinion, and that we want to move away from it. But that's just how I view it. And if people are getting extensions based on what exactly, not, I want to see the the success criteria for that. So can um,
1: I can I ask you a question? And maybe yeah. this is just me trying to be optimistic. And everybody listening is like, "You doing what now?" Um, is it possible that the nacho? the nacho extension presages a possible sale of Callasineach and the bringing in of Tyranny and the idea that let's keep Nacho so we have a, an experienced backup since we're moving on
4: Colisean is that just yeah, me wish casting? No, no, I, I, that's the other option. I can see that too, but um, I, I, obviously we need some if buts and maybes to happen there, and um, we, haven't, we haven't read much about Coliseanic going elsewhere, so I think, yeah, let's just see what happens, but I don't want to start seeing a group of older players getting new contracts right? And, and, and potential improvements in money. I know it's probably a one-year option, so it might be the same money, but I want to see you know, fundamental change to the squad to take away the problems that we've seen before because they will repeat themselves again. And we're conning ourselves if we believe they won't. So, um, so yeah, that's what I want to see. And that will boost up the money and that will create um, further options for us when we want to go and buy. So, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting a bit tired of this at the moment, this money <laughs> conversation. I know we did it last yes, time. Yes, yes, let the hate flow through you, Clive. <laughs> yeah, listen, it's, uh, but it, it's becoming the primary conversation. And, and I do want to, you know, I, I want to almost talk about football, right? And there, there are big things wrong with our team. And it's that seems to be fading from memory. And now we're talking about is the money, how we're perceived... Players that are coming in and players coming out. Of course, when we when we get down to it, when it comes to transfer window, we we naturally veer towards attacking players because that's what we like. Oh, I'm just looking at the 51 goals we conceded, and I've not seen nothing yet to make me feel better about that disposition change. And that that doesn't just revolve around centre halves and full-backs, but I do would like to see us really address the base of our midfield with a mm. bit of bravery. And I've not read enough about that yet to make me feel confident. So well, that's what I'm looking. At.
1: Yeah, and it's not like August 30 is the deadline anymore, Clive. I mean, we're, you know, we're probably within our right in early July and nothing done, no ins and no outs, except for Gabriel Martinelli, uh, Martinelli who obviously is the next Cristiano Ronaldo and will save the club. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to worry. Tim, let, let me ask you this since you've been away from Arsenal, uh, which is unusual for you, uh, but <laughs> maybe it gives you perspective that the rest of us who are just in the weeds with it constantly don't have. Coming back to it now with maybe a fresh eye, does it feel as much of a mess as we make it out to be? Or do you think that some of the panic is overstated? So,
3: um, that's a good question. I don't. There's always one. I, I don't think it is overstated, no. I think a little while ago, I kind of made my peace with the idea that the Arsenal squad's not going to look different. Uh, not going to look that different next year. I think we'll get Tierney. I think we'll get a wide forward of some description, whether that's Saha or a, a more kind of budget option, shall we say. The rest of it, I, I don't see happening because I don't see a shifting. Some of the players we need to shift like it's it's what what is it today? July the 4th, of course it's the 4th of July. There's five weeks until the window closes. Nobody's, nobody's taking Mesut Ozil off of us. There hasn't been a single rumor. Nobody's taking Mikatarian off of us. Absolutely silent. I don't even think anyone's going to take Mustafi off of us. So basically in terms of what we sell, I think we're probably looking at hoping to give Carl Jenkinson away for free because obviously his salary is too big for people to take. Um, and maybe selling Mohamed Elneny when AFCON's over, but that will take us right up to the deadline anyway and won't take, you know, won't take that much money. in. so, you know, we're, we're already seeing, for example, that um, Emi Martinez is going to be the second choice goalkeeper next year, which, you know, listen, pretty much nothing that we're going to do in the next couple of years is going to be ideal, but it it makes sense. I, I don't think he's brilliant, but we've, Probably haven't got enough money to... We haven't got money to be splurging on second-choice goalkeepers. Yeah, I don't think anyone's
1: so, going to march on uh, the Emirates over Emmy Martinez ex- being our second-choice goalkeeper.
3: <laughs> e- exactly, exactly. I mean, you, you know, we've got to park a lot of issues. But, um, yeah, essentially, I just don't see us getting rid of those players. And as a result, I don't see that much activity. I'm not convinced we'll see a central defender just because I don't think Mustafi will go... We've got plenty of numbers in central defence. We haven't got a lot of quality, but there's a lot of players. Um, and unless we shift some of them, I can't see us buying a defender. Um, it, it seems pretty clear we're in the market for a wide forward, which, you know, which again makes sense. That was the only sort of thing we did in January as well was to bring in a wide forward. So that's obviously a priority. Whether we try and do anything to replace Aaron Ramsey... Um, You know, I I suspect we might try and do something there. But but effectively, when we pick or sorry, when Unai Emery picks the team against Newcastle on the opening day, I think it's going to look very familiar. Um, And essentially, I I, I literally just put out uh, the column for this week about this. We've got to look at marginal gains. We've got to look at how we can create more strength, greater strength with what we already have. Um, can we get little improvements in places can we get you know certain players playing a bit better can we look at different partnerships um, in key areas of the pitch because essentially I, I think Tierney will happen like I said a wide forward will happen I don't think it will be Zaha therefore it will probably be someone who's not going to be ready to you know Start the first game of the season. Well, or anything Br- like Brahimi's
1: that. <laughs> pushing thirty, so he's the perfect candidate.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and and that might happen. Yep. <laughs> um, you know, and that that's probably in our situation a fairly sensible thing to be having on the back burner, just in case. But that that's the reality of the situation we're in. I don't think we're going to see the level of renewal that we want this summer because we can't shift the players that we don't want.
1: Yeah, and I I do think that. This is a case where selling to buy seems like a must. I mean, there's no scenario I can see where we're going to buy a starting center back with just the number of center backs at the club. You can't just have Mm. guys that aren't even in the match day squad earning 80, 90, 100 grand a week. Um, I think, given the fact that we know that the budget was limited going in, given what Swiss Ramble published about the finances, like, there are players that have to get shifted before we can really be aggressive about bringing in new ones, and those players aren't players that necessarily are in hot, hotly in demand. Uh, obviously, you worry then that that leads us to do something like selling a Lozzer or a Bombyang. Not a debate I want to have right now. Clive, you want to follow up on what Tim said?
4: Yeah, I think lots of sense there. I, I think one thing I would maybe add to it is, um, I think the one cent and a half that may go is Koscielny, Funny enough, I, I think he could be the one, and. Um, I think Bordeaux are very interested. He's trying to negotiate a good package out the door so he can obviously gain his last wage in football in, in, in France. So I think that could happen and that could then see um, another centre half arrive. I think the full back, I agree, I think that's going to happen. Celtic have already bought the replacement. I think we'll, we might potentially do something on the right back side, uh, which could free up some midfield space for Maitland Niles potentially and on any I definitely agree with. And if the wide forward comes in, I do feel strongly that that will... I want to say strongly. I feel maybe it's a bit of a speculation that we might see a positional change for Iwobi to, to try to be that Ramsey replacement. I I think you talk about marginal games. I haven't seen your article, Tim, but there's, there's a couple of players that we need to fix positionally and improve positionally, and I do think... Iwobi, one if you do buy a, a, a right back, Maitland nulls is another, and if they move positions in the in the team, I think we can find a lot more from those players and um that could be a gain that we may not have um expected and i'm I'm not unhappy with that, and I am the one that says blow it up, but I want to blow it up more defensively uh, i'm I'm sick of the weaknesses running backwards um because they cost us in the end. And I would like to see a change in, and one centre half, obviously the full back areas, um, because. But for the one thing for me that I I want to see us address, is the is the Granite Shaka situation. I think um, he could easily be our captain next year. but I also think he has limits within his game to epitomise our ability to do well under big moments and if I was in charge I would take that player out. There is a market for him and I would replace him with something else. And I'm looking around our our competitive landscape at Spurs for example. The last three players they bought was Davidson Sanchez, Lucas Mora and and they bought they bought Tanguay and Don And all three of them are quick, powerful athletic footballers and they're telling you the way the game is going, and we have got players that cannot cope with that at the moment, and we cannot cope with what City and Liverpool will no doubt add, and we need to develop a team that can cope with our competitors to overcome them, and then get our place back into the top four. We can't ignore what's happening around us.
1: Well said. Um, Tim, I mean, do you have a feeling about, I mean, this is an Arsenal podcast, so obviously we, we want to talk about <laughs> Arsenal, but. Unfortunately, I think a lot of Arsenal's hopes right now depend on other clubs maybe being a bigger dumpster fire yep. than we are. Lampard announced at Chelsea. United seem a bit of a mess. It's unclear what their tactic is right now. They don't seem to be going after Galactico signings, although they spent a lot of money on Juan Bissaka. Uh Spurs did just get Ndombele, which is obviously disheartening. How do you feel about the the sort of top four cluster behind Liverpool and uh, uh, City and and whether the cir- circumstances at those clubs give you cause for optimism in the upcoming season. Uh, you're all
3: hitting exactly the right notes. So first of all, Clive, I mentioned, I very much did mention Iwobi
1: and Maitland-Niles, possibly Brilliant. moving positions. <laughs>
4: Fantastic. Um, <laughs> well, well, we've, we've always thought alike, have we? <laughs>
1: I just read his stuff and then pretend I'm c- I'm coming to it anew. <laughs> that's,
4: that's all I really I do. Know, I <laughs> know, Tim. I know how he thinks. It's got to be. That's the way we got to maximize what we have, right? got to be. I'm,
3: and I'm I'm pretty sure Iwobi gave an interview recently where he said I, I've always seen myself as like an attacking midfielder. Um, now that's obviously a very broad like definition, <laughs> but that, that's always like that's quite a broad definition. But he didn't say wide forward, you know. Um, but anyway, that that's all in the article anyway, and and Clive went into it anyway. Yes. One thing we've probably we're all very down on arsenal at the moment i know i am like after baku i was just like piss off i don't want to see you for two months go away <laughs> and and you know went and did other things but one thing we probably as, as downbeat as we feel that we've got to remember is we were only one point off of fourth and we did get to the europa league final so we were very very close and i know that's not you know that might not be a comfort in fact it might be the opposite of a comfort but we arguably, we might not even have to improve to achieve our target of getting back in the champions league we could we could be the same team with the same flaws making the same mistakes we could concede 50 goals instead of 51 and finish fourth or win the europa league so and i know, I know that's not exactly a resoundingly positive message but there's an element of get real here. We're not, we're not going to be challenging to win any leagues for the next couple of years. Um, but to get back into the top four is not an insurmountable mountain to climb. Chelsea have got a transfer ban. They've just lost their best player and they've hired someone entirely based on sentiment who has no coaching experience at the top level and arguably underperformed with the club. He was just coaching. Um, you know, spurs I do not I d I don't I don't know about Spurs. They're like Teflon. What what happened to all of this talk about like Ericsson leaving and Pochettino maybe maybe leaving and like nothing ever seems to stick. Every summer comes by and everyone seems to forget like about all their good players and try to buy
1: them. For for what it's worth, I I still think that they could lose a player or two.
3: I I, wow. I think Ericsson and maybe Alderweireld, but Alderweireld has this clause like where he can go for 25 million, and I know he's. Thirty now but in today's market and, and it's silent it's like yeah. I, I really want to get like a big flashing luminous arrow and just point it to their stadium and go like why aren't people interested in buying their players and taking their manager it's like it's like the men in black thing every summer like everyone just forgets about Tottenham and they remain completely unscathed but Anyway, with Spurs even, they, I think, were they 12 points worse off in the league last season compared to the season before? I think they've had three consecutive point drops now. Now, yeah. the Champions League final covered some sins for them, but they are a team that needs renewing as well. And they're trying to sell players and they're trying to bring players in and they've bought a couple of players in already. So we, we don't know with Spurs. Chelsea, you know don't look that convincing. United don't look that convincing. So even if Arsenal stand still, we've still got an excellent chance of getting back into the Champions League, which I I understand is not the warm, fuzzy, positive message everyone wants to hear. But at the same time, it's not not the doom cast either.
1: Yeah, the only thing I would say, and I'm not saying that I necessarily feel this way, but I think the counter-argument that would be made, and I'll just make it for the sake of getting it on record, is... That our underlying metrics, in particular, like our xG difference last season, shots for, shots against, all that, were not a little yeah. bit worse, but demonstrably worse than Spurs, Chelsea, and United, of course, and so it could go yes. the other way. By the way, I, I want you to know, I I tend not to subscribe to that as much because I think Chelsea are going backwards, I think United are going backwards, I think Spurs are going backwards too. So while we are close, our proximity to them in the table was not a reflection of performing as well as them. I think they are backsliding. Maybe more than we are now. We'll have to see how the summer wraps up for all of these clubs to understand. But Chelsea switching to Lampard from sorry and losing Hazard, replacing him with Pulisic, like they're a worse team. There's more to be done, perhaps, but but we will see. United, I think, uh, yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Clive, save me.
4: I I, I don't know if you, <laughs> you know, you normally save me, so I'm going to save you, right? But I think sure. the Chelsea one, <laughs> it's going to be it's going to be one to watch, right? And when with Lampard coming in, he's going to now he's going to come in so immediately now. Chelsea fans are going to be on board. right? The situation has been laid up. We all know he might get two years because of the situation with the with the ban. So he's created an environment where he can actually lose and, and it won't be the end of the world for him. No one's going to boo him. Now, let me give you another scenario. Right? He starts to win. And so Chelsea start to win games with their new Chelsea darling best player in their history manager. We have a manager that people don't really love but they know he's trying to do a job right so and he doesn't win what we'll end up doing as Arsenal we'll look over the fence and we'll say why haven't we got a young Arsenal ex-legend type manager in in our group and I think indirectly if Lampard has a money come of success, that will put even more pressure on our results.
1: With but with more with pressure... Berg sitting next to Emery on the bench?
4: <laughs> yeah, well, with Patrick Vieira sitting in the background at Nice, ready and waiting. It's gonna put more pressure on our next manager. And i you know, my theory is two plus one, two years dirty work, the third year, let's get back to something which is not quite the all encompassing overall godlike communicator in Vengo. And not quite the non-communicator, hard-nosed, no-philosophy coach in Emmering, but something in the middle. That's what we need that's not quite all-powerful, but not quite non-communicative and still can connect the club to its history. And the, all the Adidas stuff had reminded us all what we're all about. right? So I think if Lampard has a moniker of success, watch how we will react to that. I think it's going to be really interesting because mm. I think it could put Embry under more pressure.
1: That's a really interesting insight, and, and I think it's a really good point. And, I mean, it could... Look, the Lampard thing could break that way, but it could break in our favor in the sense that if Lampard struggles, unlike former Chelsea managers who don't have a long leash, he's going to have a long leash. He can't fire the club legend, sack the club legend, you know, three months into his tenure. So, you know, if it's not working, they'll probably stick with it at least the whole season, which could be great. I mean, if it works... Not so great. Um, let's finish with this just real quick. Tim, you buy your shirt yet?
3: Um, I've, I've not bought the shirt. I, I did buy the warm-up jacket. I'm okay. a bit of a sucker for the warm-up jackets. I think I, Idris Elba rocking it in the video lulled me into a, a kind of false sense that I might look like Idris Elba if I wear it. And I've worn it, and I do not look like Idris Elba.
1: Well, I'll tell you what. You... We are uh, going to give away uh, a shirt, actually a home shirt, uh, while well, that's available, and then an away shirt when that becomes available. But you're not eligible to win it, so you're going to have to shell out uh, to to get one. Did you guys see the fabric of uh, football uh, video that Arsenal put out? The documentary. Yes. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on that, Tim? Um.
4: No. Okay.
1: Clive, any any reaction uh, to that? We we did our reaction on the on the kit launch video. Any reaction on the fabric of football video?
4: Yeah, I'm just loving it. I think it's great. But the, it's almost, the social media people are smashing it. The creatives are smashing it. Right oh, now. <laughs> it just makes you wonder it just makes, I mean they're they're doing a fantastic job with this and um it's a big reminder of why I support Arsenal anyway. It may not fit everybody, but you know, for a man in his early fifties and a similar ace to and right that was around when many of those heroes were on the pitch. Um, Yeah, this, this is, this is me all over. Right. And uh, so I'm loving what they're doing here. And I think they're doing a fantastic job reminding us of our identity. So I wish some of those people actually worked for the club. Mm. right and that's what rather than work for adidas marketing group they work for the club and i think how we build that would be interesting i did sort of say something on discord yesterday and i've seen it on twitter as well it's quite interesting that emery wasn't in any of those videos right so um that's an interesting point
1: yeah because you uh, wouldn't have seen one of those without arson wenger but
4: no chance right so uh, again it, it reminds us what he is he's a coach of the first team let's just look to build this club and build this squad properly to fix the problems that we have to allow him to coach but I'm not throwing all my love that way I just want him to have a chance to coach and he cannot produce anything more if he's still got Mustafi and an aged Koscielny at set half it's not going to work mate no matter what we sign on the left wing me, and so me. I, I
1: Meanwhile, uh uh PR directors and Pravda guys are pumping out the propaganda left and right, so that that is <laughs> exactly. a battle to keep an eye on because Emery needs to volley back pretty quick.
4: <laughs> yeah, he does. I, I, I'll tell you what, I will be going to some preseason games this year, that's for sure. I know Tim doesn't like preseason, but I will be going. <laughs> I will be going to these games, and I will be reporting back. So I'm going to go to as many as I can. I think they even play... Uh, so the younger players play Hitchin Town they play Bournemouth at the weekend um, oh, Barney I don't know if we go to Barney but Hitchin Town literally around the corner from my house so I'm going to go to that one uh, and I'm looking at Barcelona as well and i will definitely going to Emirates Cup so um, I'm going to get a real I think it's important this year to have a, to have a good look and see what, what changes there are, right? And um, So, yeah, that's my that's my near-term. Uh, Good stuff. Already sorted out.
1: Well, it's Boreham Wood at the weekend, and I can assure you we will be putting out a podcast next week. It will not be a Boreham Wood post-match podcast. That's not happening. I'm sorry to anyone who was looking for that. Um, we will have a Patreon transfer roundup next week to announce Zaha and Tierney, so that'll be fun. Uh, if you want to sign up for the Patreon, we love you for doing it. But if it's not for you, again, totally understand. Look, the, the plan this summer is... One for everybody every week, one for patrons every week. That way there's a uh, hopefully a great podcast out for you for free every week for everybody. Um, and then when the season rolls back around, right back into our usual uh, nonsense of putting out a pod after every match. So... You know, we, we appreciate you for listening, and, and if you're signing up on Patreon, great. And if not, hopefully you're still getting plenty of great stuff from us. We're going to try to put out another YouTube video soon. The next regular podcast will be our 300th episode. So we're going to try to do something special for that, uh, and I'll probably drop the ball, and it'll just be us talking into microphones about Arsenal. But I'm going to try to do something special for that. And for anyone who's been here all the way, part of the way, or even if this is your first episode, we love you, and we really appreciate it. Tim's on Twitter at Stilberto. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure. Welcome back. Great to have you. Um, Clive's on Twitter at Clive Thanks, Clive.
4: Thank you very much.
1: Reasonably acceptable to have you. My name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter. Yankee Gunner. Give us five star review. Write nasty things about Paul and Scott. He'll be back at some point too. Uh, hope you enjoyed this one. We've got of the weekend, so I can finally say we will talk to you after Arsenal ten. Bournemouth nil.
5: I like a bed that's really firm.
0: I need something a little softer than that. Rest easy. With the Sleep Number 360 Smart Bed, you can both adjust your comfort with your sleep number setting. Can
5: it really help me fall asleep faster?
0: Yes, by gently warming your feet. Okay, but can it help keep us asleep? It senses your movements and automatically adjusts to keep you effortlessly comfortable. Sleep Number, proven quality sleep is life-changing sleep. Don't miss our President's Day weekend special. Save 50% on the Sleep Number 360 Limited Edition Smart Bed. Plus, special financing and free premium delivery when you add
5: a base. Ends Monday. Special financing subject to credit approval. Minimum monthly payments required. See store for details.